Hello, listeners, and welcome to the June edition of the Divorce and Beyond Headlines Roundup. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and you know, this, I just want to remind everyone, these headlines, roundups that I've been doing every month are really intended to sort of pick some cases that you're hearing a lot about that are high profile, usually involving uh, either ultra high net worth people or celebrities that get talked about a lot. And I want to talk about the cases, but from a perspective of looking behind those headlines, because often the media kind of puts things in a way that will sell headlines or be clickbait, but doesn't necessarily really reflect what's going on in divorce, as well as I just want to give some lessons because there are always things that we can learn from how other people are managing their divorce or their post-divorce or separation life. So let's jump into a few of our cases. I was going to start out with a case update because for a couple of months now, we talked about the case of country singer Sam Hunt. His pregnant wife had filed for divorce a few months back. We, in fact, found out she was pregnant, um, or the, the, the public found out she was pregnant because it was made a part of her divorce filing. Uh, there were other some sensational aspects to her divorce filing. She basically ale- alleged um, improper behavior on the part of her husband, um, usually infidelity or uh, domestic violence uh, allegations. Come along until last month, and we found out that the couple had reconciled, um, and they she had asked the court to withdraw her petition for divorce. Now the happy news comes that the couple has welcomed their baby girl. She's named Lucy Lou, and I just you know I want to point this out because one. Once you file for divorce and when you file for divorce and when these pleadings go out there, do know that even when they're withdrawn, those pleadings are always out there. So I, you know, the lesson that I would sort of direct you to from this, and and it's not really anything to do with uh, the happy parents and their beautiful baby girl. Um, It is know that when you make filings and when you file pleadings in the court, they are public documents. And what you allege in those documents is going to be public record. So although this case has been withdrawn, unless the court actually takes it out of the court filing system, which varies depending on which court, but most do not, that filing that alleges those different, um, that, that cites her pregnancy, but also alleges improper marital conduct, that's always going to be out there. And so something I've always reminded clients of is although your children or friends or family or the world at large may not be looking at your case today, it's just like social media, right? Once it's out there, it's always out there. So another reason why you want to consider what you put in your pleadings, what you actually allege, uh, because it will live on long after your divorce is either finalized or as in this case, uh, withdrawn so that the parties can, can reconcile. Uh, The next case is actually a sort of a to-do, how to do this right type of case, or at least I would say that this is a couple who's uh, trying to address their uh, divorce and their separation in a way that works best for their family. So actress Busy Phillips, uh, she filed recently for divorce from her husband, 
and talked about it on her podcast. And she made it clear when she was talking about it on her podcast that this was something that she and her husband had decided it was okay to talk about. And they had discussed the parameters of what she would talk about. So it was not, you know, her talking about something behind his back or without his input and uh, his, his permission. Um, a couple of things that I thought were interesting is she indicated they actually separated over a year ago. They separated in February 2021, so more than a year before they actually made any type of announcement or addressed it. Um, she talked about that Hollywood, and for those of you, since you can't see me, I'm, I'm doing the air quotes, the Hollywood press release that you always see from couples who are facing divorce when they are high profile is that, you know, so-and-so and I, or we have jointly made the decision to divorce. We will continue as loving friends and parents, but ask for privacy in this time for our family as we go through this time of restructuring um, and, you know, want what's best for our children. They always have certain elements of that. And she said, you know, she and her husband chose not to do that. That did not feel authentic to their family, uh, putting out uh, what I guess I'm guessing sounded like rote um, or standardized language to them. I think they've been trying to live that paradigm, but didn't feel comfortable putting it out in a press release. And in fact, stayed they stayed very much under the radar, although it may have been well known um, among their friends and family. It was not something, um, and as we know, the press will jump on things. It was not something that was pri uh, widely reported in the press. The other element that I wanted to talk about, um, I posted about this not long ago on Instagram and got quite a response to this, but it turns out that uh, Busy and her husband have been working in the past year uh, on a nesting parenting plan. So for those of you who don't know what a nesting plan is, it is where the children remain in one home and the parents cycle in and out of it so that the on-duty parent will live with the children in that house and the other parent will go reside somewhere else when it's not their on-duty time and then that will shift and she's indicated that that's been working really well for their children and it's funny i posted about it because i have an episode for those of you who have listened beth barrent came on and talked about the ins and outs of a bird nesting arrangement beth has um, and her ex-husband have been nesting with their children for years post-dissolution. Um, she has a book about it coming out, and um, that podcast episode was very uh, eye-opening, even for me as a divorce professional. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for those who might want to listen. But when I posted about it, I got very polarized responses. It was either hate that idea or hated doing it because it is, I think, uncomfortable for parents. There are privacy issues around it. There's a discomfort of parents now having to pack up their bags and go back and forth. Um, and then other people who said it was the amazing lifeline for their children, that it was something they had done and they were oh so happy they had done it. So if you want to know more again about nesting, I do recommend going and listening to Beth's episode 
But I do want people to consider, you know, this, this is not something that you know about or have considered. Think about the difference here is that you, instead of your children having to work their lives around the parenting plan, the parents now have to sort of adjust to the parenting plan. And for some people, that may be something that works well. It does require having an, at least one alternate residence for parents to go to, if not two alternate residences. But for many couples and families, it might work in the short term. And for others, it might work in the long term. So something to consider. Um, our next case, now I swear to God, I can't have a month without a Bravo Liberty on here. Bravo has all of these um, reality shows. And so people have become famous from being putting their lives on television. And Bravo's kind of uh, famous for this. But this month, it's usually a real housewife or two that have gotten uh, into the news with their divorce. This time, it is a Vanderpump Rules star, Tom Schwartz and Katie Maloney, um, who are going through a divorce right now. They are both on Vanderpump Rules. Uh, they announced back in March uh, this is the June edition of this. So a few months ago, they announced in March that they were getting divorced and they were continuing to still live in their home together, which many couples do, um, even once they've announced or have filed for divorce. But they recently both posted on social media and it made it into the headlines that they are jointly moving out of their uh, co-owned home, the former, what we'll call marital residence, and both are moving into separate residences. And a couple of things I wanted to point out from that. Uh, one is it does not appear that they have put their house on the market, at least according to the news story that I read. Um, I'll put that link, as always, into the show notes if you want to read that story. But it doesn't look like they've put their house on the market. But one thing to know is if the two of you agree, you can put your home on the market at any time. Um, couples who are going through divorce, the fact of your divorce means that you can't make major financial moves without a court order or the permission of the other party, the written permission in most states. There are these temporary orders that go into place. We talked about them last month on the Headlines Roundup with my friend, um, Beth McCormick. So those orders go into place. You're not supposed to go and sell a house, except when you agree to go sell that house. So if you and your spouse at this point in time know you're going through a divorce, this is still a somewhat hot market, although with rising um, interest rates, they do expect it to cool off. So many couples who are going through divorce right now might actually consider putting the house on the market. Um, it, during the pendency of your divorce action so that you can maximize your recovery. You may not have agreed on how you're going to split those proceeds, but you can sit down and agree on a listing price, on a realtor, on certain parameters around that move. So that's one thing I want to make sure that people are aware. You can agree at any time to do this. Um, and I also find it interesting because so many people are tied to having or keeping the marital residence. Now, this couple, I don't believe, has any children. And in the article, it says, you know, it's just too much house 
for one of us to maintain. And so they're both downsizing, I believe. And that's something to consider as well. But there are a lot of other reasons to consider moving into a fresh start home. Uh, That in and of itself gives you an idea, right? You know, get a fresh start. Um, Sometimes just having a clean slate, being able to start over and fashion a new home base that suits you and you alone or you and your children without as much of the influence of your spouse can be a cathartic process for people. It's also a time to consider whether or not you can continue to maintain the household as a solo. Uh, It's very often not possible. And so something to consider might be what will downsizing look like or down um, expensing, as I call it. So a lot of these things, people will wait and think they can't do any of this or can't think about it until their divorce is finalized. You can start making some changes in your family's lifestyle during the divorce, as long as you and your spouse agree upon it. And housing is can be one of those things, especially right now with this hot real estate market, that might make it a good idea to start thinking about that. So something we can always learn from our Bravo liberties, right? Um, so, oh, now this next case, not necessarily a divorce. This is a post-dissolution, long time post-dissolution. I think both of them have been remarried and perhaps divorced again, at least in Charlie Sheen's case. But Charlie Sheen and his ex-wife, Denise Richards, are having a little public headline spat with each other because their eldest daughter, Sammy, has joined OnlyFans, which uh, is an adults-only site with adults-only content for pay. Um, And Charlie is blaming his ex, blaming Denise, uh, that their daughter has joined this OnlyFans site. Now, I want to point out that Sammy is 18 years old. And uh, she is living with her mother at this time. Uh, But this points out something, and and Charlie is saying, again, I will put a link to the article, but Charlie's saying, hey, this is, she's living with her mom. This didn't happen under my roof. Um, I don't condone it. Um, Denise is saying, of course, she's 18, and the decision doesn't have anything to do with whose house she lives in. All I can do at this point as a parent is guide her and trust her judgment, but she's making her own choices. And I do want to make sure all parents out there really hear this message because this is something that I hear all the time. When you are working on a parenting plan, you're working on a parenting plan and co-parenting while your children are minors, which may vary by your state, but in most states it's until they turn age 18. And then understand Those little unformed 18-year-olds, and I can say this as someone who has stepkids who are 24, right? When they were 18, could we trust them always to make the best decisions? God, no. I mean, 18 is still a very young person, and I think it's shown here. Sammy is living with one of her parents. She lived with her father until recently. But legally, because she is 18, She can legally make her own choices as to what she wants to do. Parents have a great deal less authority over their children's lives once they attain their majority. In fact, things like getting their grades from school, getting their medical records, 
they no longer um, have access. You as a parent do not have access to those things unless your adult child gives you access. So this is another case where both of these parents may very likely be frustrated because they don't have control over what their adults, and I, I keep using the finger quotes in this episode, uh, but what their adult in finger quotes child is making choices to do today, um, but they don't have the ability to stop her. Now, there are other things that parents can do. If they are financial support for a child, obviously they have certain um, you know, ways that they can request different behaviors or expect different behaviors from their children. But the other thing to learn from this is I am not sure that there's a lot of value in blaming your other parent about things like this, certainly not doing that in such a public forum. Uh, again, always going back to it doesn't matter whether they're 8, 18, or 48, your children are still your children. And we know that children do better when there's less conflict between their parents. So this whole concept of you know coming out and blaming your ex for choices your adult child is making not sure that that's what's best for Sammy here or perhaps two parents who both uh, have a an agenda that they've worked out together and have uh, then set the, you know they sit down and talk to their child about making good choices might have been a better approach but understand life gets infinitely more complicated when your children are legal adults, but in so many ways are still dependent. And that is for the vast majority of parents. And that makes co-parenting a little bit different quagmire to be navigating. So something to be thinking about, just because perhaps they're not covered under the parenting plan anymore, it's a really good idea that you two still manage to co-parent in a cooperative and respectful fashion, if at all possible. So next case up with Valerie Bertinelli. Um, it was just announced people had a case, uh, an article about her estranged husband, Tom, I think it's Vitali, asking for spousal support after her divorce filing. Um, and I picked on this one. Um, I think people will think because a husband asked for spousal support from a wife, and that's part of it. I mean, I think that people do need to remember that in, I believe, every state, the spousal support alimony maintenance laws are gender neutral. It doesn't matter whether you're the husband or the wife in a marriage. Um, either spouse has the ability to ask the for support from the other spouse. Sex. Um, gender is not one of the considerations or factors that goes into that. There are a variety and every state has approximately, most states have about 12 factors that the court will look at. Um, things like the age and education and uh, work background and employability and length of marriage and reasons for the breakdown of the marriage. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that the court will look at, but whether someone's the husband or the wife is not one of them. So yes, that's relevant. But I really wanted to point out here, so let's talk about the time um, line for this. Valerie Bertinelli filed for a legal separation 
And then I think it was about a month later, she trans uh, transformed that legal separation request into a petition for divorce. Um, and that was the it was changed to a divorce petition in May. And so in June, now her husband has, as is required, legally filed his answer to her complaint or his cross complaint. Now they are in California and in California, it is very common that one spouse will file the original complaint and then the other spouse will file a cross complaint where they are the plaintiff asking for divorce from the other party. Super normal. Happens in uh, so many, so many, so many cases. So nothing is news there in them filing it, although people decided and several other news outlets decided to make it um, a headline. And then this part about him asking for spousal support, that was the big part, like, ooh, he's asking Valerie for spousal support. That is also an extremely common request when the cross complaint is filed. So understand that in your pleadings, there are certain, you know, you have to set out the pleadings in the pleadings, why you're asking for a divorce, that the marriage is broken down irretrievably, there's no possibility of reconciliation. And then you have something called a prayer for relief. And when it comes to your initial filings, these pleadings, these original pleadings, I call them kitchen soup filings, kitchen sink filings, sorry, not kitchen soup, kitchen sink filings, where pretty much you throw in anything you might be asking for. And why do you do that? Well, you do that because if you don't ask for it, then down the road, you can't get it unless you can amend your pleadings. And there are rules about amending pleadings. There's time limits, there's reasons, there's new actions, there's all these reasons why you can't amend. So when you file those initial pleadings, it is exceedingly common to ask for spousal support, to ask for a division of property. In this case, he challenged the validity of the prenuptial agreement. Very common in a case where there is a prenuptial agreement. Now, it does indicate that they are not working together super smoothly um, to work through this divorce and that there may be certain questions around that, that, uh, prenuptial agreement. We'll know more as this case proceeds through, uh, the court case. Cause I have no doubt people and everyone else will continue to report on it. But what I wanted to, you all to take from this is basically a headline has been created out of something that is really a common pleading, that is a common filing. And the nuance is not given to you. When a staff reporter for People or Page Six or TMZ talks about he asked for support from her, they're not giving you that underlying understanding that, and that's a pretty normal thing to do at this stage in this case. When you have someone like Valerie Bertinelli, who's a high income earner, I don't think her husband's a low income earner, but it's not a huge surprise to me that he would have at least asked for it at this phase. Does it mean he'll get it? No, you can ask for anything. Doesn't mean that you're going to get it. Might he get some? Who knows? We'll see as they negotiate down the road. But it's a part of the negotiation process as well. So don't take that as, um, you know, what I think that people want it to be, the sensational clickbait um, that they were going for. It got me to click. I clicked on it, but I was only clicking on it to find cases to talk about for you guys. 
Um, and then I'm just going to round out with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, the de defamation trial. And I know you're all probably sick of hearing about it. I'm somewhat sick of hearing about it and talking about it myself. Um, but I do, I get asked uh, quite a bit about it. I've been doing, you know, some news um, reports about this case and people have asked for, you know, just my thoughts. So I'm just going to give a couple of thoughts on this particular case, uh, really trying to tie it more to a larger conversation. Um, it, just some things to think about. Um, I wasn't too surprised with how the whole trial played out. It felt to me very much like a nasty mudslinging divorce trial. Um, and so any of us who have been litigators in a divorce case, that is what you expect to see in a courtroom. Um, I've seen people behave better um, in divorce court. I've seen worse, believe it or not. Um, so that was sensationalized in that most people do not have that peek inside a courtroom where a couple's personal life is being dragged out and through the mud. Uh, but there wasn't anything that was all that particularly out of the norm for a divorce trial. So if you think you're headed for a divorce trial, take a look at that and think about whether you want to put yourself through that. But the other things that, that really stuck out to me were how important um, how somebody's demeanor in a courtroom can be. Um, and this is something else that I've also experienced in a courtroom when we've had these high conflict cases, cases where abuse allegations are being made. Um, one thing that I've noticed very often, and, and I don't know whether I don't know Johnny Depp and I don't know Amber Heard. I only know like you all what I've watched and seen. Um, some of the evidence that was shown like the videotapes and some of the written text messages of Johnny Depp's that, that were introduced, I have to say to me, rose to the level of abuse. Um, uh, his admitted drug use and alcohol abuse, to me, rose to the level of, of abuse. Um, so I found it interesting that people were able to sweep that under the, the rug, so to speak, the jurors at least. Um, and part of that is, I think, how people come across in the courtroom, their demeanor, as I was saying. And Johnny Depp just came across much more, uh, just, he was calmer, he was more cohesive and rehearsed in his testimony. Um, I think at large, he is a likable character. Uh, people like his movie characters and so are somewhat wanting to like him as well. Um, and what I have found, at least in my cases with high conflict personalities, is many of them are incredibly charming. And, and uh, that is how they, they suck people in. Whether or not Johnny Depp's a high conflict personality, again, I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about a wider um, level of these cases. So often I have seen cases and been involved in cases where a high conflict person does come across quite well in a courtroom. And that's often mirrored by the other person's less 
uh, cogent and, and calm demeanor in the courtroom. Very often people who are victims of abuse or who are caught up in a conflict cycle come across as slightly crazed um, and hysterical and upset. And that's what I saw personally. That's just how that how Amber Heard came across for me in this particular trial. I didn't find her very likable. Um, I found her to be, um, you know, her, her demeanor to be hard to watch at times. But my take on it as someone in the business and, and who's been in that courtroom so many times was that, you know, we've got a victim here and she's coming across as unlikable and upset and, and somewhat uh, hysterical. And uh, I think that unfortunately in this case, at least from, from how I see it, is those courtroom demeanors played a great deal into how the jury saw these people. Um, and does that mean that the jury needed a little more education on how abusers and victims um, often come across in court? Maybe. Maybe that would have been helpful. Um, we shall see where this goes. We know that Amber Heard has said that she's going to appeal. Again, everyone exceedingly common when there are punitive damages like this. I highly expect that the damages in this case are going to get knocked down substantially. Uh, they didn't really have any basis for them. And that's just the norm in these cases, although you never know. Um, but I do think that the world at large does need a little bit more education on what domestic abuse looks like, what abusers look like, uh, what victims can look like and what this all looks like in a courtroom. Um, I still encourage people who are victims of abuse to feel hopefully safe in coming forward and sharing their experience. Uh, the more that people talk, the more that I think we'll have that ability for people to have a better understanding of what this dynamic looks like. Um, I do have a wonderful two-part episode that I recently did with uh, Christine Cocciella, Dr. Christine Cocciella, who is a domestic violence and intimate partner violence expert. Um, she's a psychologist and she happens to be a survivor of uh, intimate partner violence herself. Uh, that was a special two-part episode and I highly recommend going to listening to going and listening to them the first one was on coercive control um, which is so insidious and the second one was about post separation abuse uh, which does include legal abuse and legal abuse through the legal system which we may or may not have been seeing in the Depp her defamation trial so there's your June uh, headline roundup, everyone. I hope that, you know, you got that little peek behind the headlines and a little understanding um, of what you read in black and white um, in your Twitter feed or on page six or TMZ or people <laughs> may not necessarily be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the, the truth. Uh, there's always more to, to know about what's going on in these cases, and there's a lot to be learned. So I hope you got some good tidbits and takeaways. Um, be sure to go to the website, everyone. I just want to make sure everyone knows we have a new feature on the website where you can find episodes based on topic. 
So I've started a whole topic section where if you're divorcing a narcissist or high conflict personality, you can find all the, all the episodes out of the 200 or 150 or so. There's some on children and divorce. There's some on the financial issues of divorce. And we're continuing to build that out. But if you're looking for a good education, and help with a certain area in your divorce and you want to find all the episodes without having to scroll through, just go to the website divorceandbeyondpod.com and click on the menu tab, Divorce Topics. And you're going to see a drop-down menu with all of them there. So thank you everyone for tuning in and I'll have show notes and everything that you can uh, use in the show notes. If you are enjoying this uh, podcast, please consider giving me a five-star review and uh, leaving some good comments. It's the best way for people to find podcasts. And the whole reason that I do this is I really want to help you and everyone out there going through divorce to get through their divorce in the best way possible so you can get to your beautiful beyond. So please uh, leave those those recommendations. Send us a note, Susan at divorceandbeyondpod.com. And I'll see you again next month for Headlines Roundup.